August 14th, 2023. We're in Masechet in the last of the narrow lines, uh, right before the lines get wide. Let's return to there for a moment uh, to review the question and the beginning of the answer that we uh, learned already on Friday. The Mishnah said, Kol elu tob amru. Mishnah detailed for us several circumstances where the rabbis restricted even though something is mutar in general, in the general sense, min Torah, nonetheless, the rabbis in many circumstances, we saw a large amount of them in our Mishnah, said for one reason or another that they're restricted. The Mishnah concluded and said, you should know these were all stated specifically by Yom Tob, but they extend and are just as relevant in an identical way by Shabbat. Questions the Gemara, Ureminhu, Ureminu means we're asking contradiction from the Mishnah right before this one. The Mishnah that began our Perek, this fifth Perek of Masech Beza, told us a halacha where there was a permissibility on Yom Tob to lower the fruits from the roof on Yom Tob but not on Shabbat. Now, of course, that was dealing with a rabbinic restriction, a tirhashe lo lasorich, over exerting yourself on Shabbat or on Yom Tob. But fundamentally, the Mishnah said that's permitted on Yom Tob and prohibited, the restriction exists on Shabbat. How could our Mishnah then tell us that everything that exists on Yom Tob exists on Shabbat, everything on Shabbat is on Yom Tob? It's just not so. Our first Mishnah made clear for us there's a permissibility, a leniency when it came to Yom Tob, and not so when it comes to Shabbat. Amar Rav Yosef, Lak Ashya. Rav Yosef suggests there's no contradiction here because each of these two Mishnayot are really, although it never was stated explicitly, are really representing two different opinions amongst the Tanaim. How so? Our past Mishnah, which gave a lenient angle, excuse me, our past Mishnah, which gave a stringent angle, applying all the laws of Shabbat to Yom Tob, that would follow the opinion of Rabili Ezer, the more stringent opinion, as we'll see in a moment. The initial Mishnah in the Perik, which set forth a leniency on Yom Tob, there's more room for permissibility, b'makom hefsed, when you might be losing money as a result of following this restriction of the rabbis. Well, then it's permitted. That would follow the opinion of Rabbi Yoshua. Where do we find their opinions in such a fashion? Ditanya, we have the following Biraita, which applies in the context of, we'll see, Shabbat or Yom Tob, a halacha, which goes as follows. You're not allowed to, from the Torah, slaughter a parent and its child, biyom ehad. You're not allowed to take the animal of the mother and the child and slaughter them on a single day. It's the halacha from the Torah. Torah never per se tells us the reason why you're not allowed to, but you're not allowed to do so. The easiest interpretation is it's paining the animals in, uh, in, in doing it in such a fashion. Irrespective of the reasoning, that's the halakha. What if on your property, in your flock, the child and its mother have fallen into a pit? Now, in order to bring them out of that pit, if the purpose is not to be eating them, that's that's unnecessary uh, strain, uh, strain and stress, uh, you wouldn't be able to do so. Uh, maybe I'll take them out in order to eat them, but I can't eat from both of them, and both of them are in their, that pit. What am I to do in such a circumstance? The Tanya, the Beraita, records a mahdoket between Rabbi Ezer and Bi as to how to deal with that circumstance. O 
Oto ve'et beno she'nafelu lebor. If the child and its mother fell into a pit. Bili Ezer Omer, first opinion, whom I already told you is going to be the more stringent opinion, the more mahmir opinion. He says, Ma'ale et harishon almenat leshohato. The initial animal that you choose should be the one that you're going to slaughter, to eat, consume on Yom Tov. Of course, that'll be permitted. You're allowed to take it out and slaughter it because you're going to be enjoying it on Yom Tov. The shohato and do so. Vasheni, the second one, you may not, don't dare taking it out of the pit. What can you do? I'm going to lose my property. You don't need to lose your property, but you can't bring it out unnecessarily. Instead, drop food into it over the course of the day or just once for the whole day so that it won't die. So it means that the answer will not permit under circumstances of of extra strain and stress with regards to my activity on Yom Tob. Even though we saw in our Mishnah that maybe the laws of Yom Tob should be more lenient, our first Mishnah, nonetheless over here, Rabbi Eliezer is telling us we equate Rosh Shabbat and Yom Tob and it's prohibited. Therefore, says our Gemara already, our Mishnah, which equated, which said both Shabbat and Yom Tov have all these restrictions, is Rabbi Li'ezer. The first Mishnah, which permitted extra stress and strain on Yom Tov, but not on Shabbat, that's the next opinion. That's Rabbi Yehoshua. Rabbi Yehoshua Omer, Ma'alet HaRishon Al-Menat L'Shohato Ve'enoh Shohato Ve'chuzeru Ma'arimu Ma'alet HaSheni Ratzazeh Shohet Ratzazeh Shohet Rabbi Yehoshua permits, even suggests, Ha'arama. Again, we've talked about the contours and the uh, guidelines of Ha'arama, when permitted and when not. Earlier in our Masechet, as Jeffrey pointed out last time, uh, but fundamentally the concept goes as follows, not always permitted, we'll only extend this to rabbinic circumstances, we won't even always permit it. This is only the opinion of Rabbi Yoshua, but Ha'arama means being conniving, means being sly and clever in the context of Halakha. And so therefore, I have these two animals in the pit, I'm certainly not allowed to slaughter both of them. But I can, excuse the vernacular, I can sketch the situation. I'll pull out the first one and I'll say, maybe I'll slaughter this one. And I say, you know something, that one in the pit actually looks a little bit better. The mother or the child, whichever one is left in, either the youth or the age is uh, more appealing to me in this moment. Either the slender side, it's going to be a leaner of the, the, the piece, or the fatter side is whatever I can change my mind, so to speak, in that moment. And by so doing, I've sketched the situation and brought out both of them, even though I'm only going to be ultimately slaughtering one of them. That's permitted, says Rabbi Yoshua, on Yom Tov. So let's then understand what Rabbi Yoshua just permitted. He permitted effectively, yes, he has a sly and clever way of telling us how to do it, but he permitted Tirhashi Lola Sorich on Yom Tov. He permitted. What's that? I'm slaughtering one of them. I could then change my mind again and say, oh, but I actually thought about the first one. You should be slaughtering one of them. That seems clear from the Beraita. No. If it's a genuine, if it's a genuine change my mind or didn't realize, so then you can. But generally speaking, you look into the pit, you know which one you actually want. You're going to have to be honest with yourself and, and do that. Yes, Rabbi Yoshua is permitting with a loophole uh, this circumstance. Keep in mind, it's only rabbinically prohibited in the first place. 
Um, furthermore, it's Yom Tov, where we're more lenient with regards to loss of money and uh, with regards to uh, pro- producing and bringing forth food. Uh, that's what we have then. So it means that our Gemara is suggesting at this point that the first Mishnah in the Perik, the more permitting one, is Rabbi Yoshua, who permits true with a loophole, but he does permit a circumstance of rabbinic violation on Yom Tov. And the second Mishnah, which says Yom Tov and Shabbat are the same, that would be Rabbi Eliezer. It says the Gemara, too simple. Too simple to suggest the first Mishnah is Rabbi Yoshua and the second Mishnah is Rabbi Eliezer. Uh, we kind of already articulated the problem already. For example, this Mishnah that we just cited, excuse me, this Beraita that we just cited of Rabbi Yoshua, he had a loophole. At least he had, again, he had the sketch. He said, I'll bring this one up. Maybe I want this one. Maybe I want that one. In the first Mishnah Tarpedic, there was no such loophole. The first Mishnah Tarpedic, there were a lot of fruits on the top of my roof and I'm lowering them down. Nobody thinks, I can't even state it with a straight face that I'm bringing them down and I might eat from them. The intention is only for saving. That's the whole intention. But it get, but, but ultimately, but ultimately speaking, listen, Eli. Ultimately speaking, leaving it in the pit and putting food for it as be the answer. It's not going to die. But I'm going to save. I'm, True, true. So that's it. Yeah, I have to imagine it's not going to be too, too, going to be too painful because if it was, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be all sad at all. How do you take it out? Like, can you put a ramp in there or do something without? Effectively, what appears clear, at least in my mind, is where the hachamim are treating this. Any activity you're going to be exerting in this is going to be a tirhashi lulasorich. I imagine you're right. If you have already a crafted ramp for this, and it means just sliding it in, then you're not. But it seems like the circumstance is such that if you're building a ramp, it's going to be a whole production. And whatever you're doing to get it out is going to be difficult. But again, so that's the, going to be the deflection of the Gemara. We'll just have to see how it does. So the Gemara says. What's that? No, no, no. You had one. I'm so, I, I, I thought he's saying you have something and you just put it in. I didn't mean it uh, in that sense. As I said it, I actually got nervous the way it was coming out. Says the Gemara, Amale Abaye, Abaye responds to this suggestion of Rav Yosef to resolve these Mishnayot and says, Mimai, Mimai literally means uh, from what? In other words, what gave you this idea that you can cleanly, it's not so cleanly, uh, separate and distinguish these two Mishnayot in the fashion that you did? One's Rabbi Li'ezer, one's Rabbi Yoshua. Not so. Dilma, maybe Adkan lo kamar Rabbi Li'ezer hatam Maybe the stringency of Rabbi Li'ezer in the Mishnah, excuse me, in the Beraita, with regards to the animals that fell into the pit, he's stringent because, as I think Alan was articulating, or maybe Eli was, you put food in, and Eli was, as a result of putting the food in, yeah, the animal's still going to be alive. You're not losing the animal in that circumstance. So says Rabbi Eliezer, there's room for stringency. I could be mahmir. Why are you being mahmir on me? Hazit me. I'm going to lose my animal. You're not losing your animal. You're throwing food in. It's going to be a harder day for you. You're going to have it on your mind that the animal is in there. You might even hear the animal braying and the neighing. And, okay, but ultimately speaking, you're not losing your animal. Our first Mishnah Tarpedic, where the fruits are on the roof and the rain is coming, you're not saving anything. That's going to be entirely lost. Maybe even the stringent Rabili Ezer would permit in our Mishnah. You can't equate that case, the case of the animal in the pit, to the case of the fruit on the roof. The fruit on the roof will be an absolute loss. Hef said, 
have said, maybe Rabbi Eliezer is matir. The circumstance that Rabbi Eliezer was mahmir, that he said that it's prohibited, is where you weren't going to have hefsed. And furthermore, in Namez, I just articulated on the flip side. Maybe the only reason Rabbi Yoshua, the lenient opinion, who says you're allowed to pull one out and say, oh, gee, maybe I want that one instead and pull that one out. Okay, you were able to do the OG. You were able to sketch the situation. Our first Mishnah, where you're pulling the fruits down from the roof, and it's la efshar le'a'arume. Le'a'arume is that verb. Ha'arama, the sly, the conniving, the nahash-style activity. In that circumstance, look, maybe Rabbi Yoshua would not permit. Effectively, then, the Gemara sets forth for us, Abaye deflects the suggestion of Rabbi Yosef, and we're back to square one. It's hard, if not impossible, to say that our first Mishnah is Rabbi Yoshua, and second Mishnah is Rabbi Ezer, because I can deflect, I can disprove the clean suggestion that you made in both of those cases. I'm back to a contradiction. First Mishnah of the Pedic says there's a permissibility on Yom Tov to lower the fruits. And second Mishnah says Yom Tov and Shabbat are the same. Contradiction. Blatant. How are you going to deal with that? Ela Amar Papa. Rav Papa instead suggests Lakashya Habet Shamai Habet It might not be the opinions we mentioned earlier, but I'll again suggest our first Mishnah, the lenient one, is following the opinion of, of Bet Hilel. The second Mishnah, the more stringent one, Shabbat and Yom Tov being the same, is following the opinion of Bet Shamai. Which Bet Hilel? Which Bet Shamai? We learned this Mishnah and Daf Yod Bet. I've told you more than once, this Mishnah is like the, uh, you know, the, the, the banner Mishnah of the, pe, of the, of the Masechet. How so? Ditnan, Bet Shamai Omrim, En Mosi'in lo et HaKatan velo et HaLulah velo et Sefer HaTorah l'Rushut HaRabim u'Bet Hilel Matirin. Whereas the Torah explicitly makes clear that it is permitted on Yom Tov. Yom Tov has the same laws as Shabbat, aside from Ochel Nefesh, if you're producing food. Um, the Mishnah tells us that we can extend that a bit further according to Beit Hillel. How so? The Mishnah specifically is talking about carrying, hotza'ah, moving from one domain to the other one. Say Beit Hillel in contrast to Beit Shammai. If you're moving something in, Reshut Rabim, if you're moving something from a private domain to a public domain, or just moving it within the public domain, it's permitted on Yom Tov. For example, the examples might be very noteworthy, as we discussed over there. If you're taking the Lulav, or a child, or a Sefer Torah, all have uses on Yom Tov, you recall Rabbeinu Hananel said they're all mitzvah. Alternatively, there was machlok between Rashi and Tosafot. How necessary is this activity to my engagement on Yom Tov? But let's assume for the moment the halakha ma'aseh as it is, it has to have some sorech Yom Tov. If you're carrying for some purpose of the holiday, say Beit Hillel permitted. What's the principle that permits that? The Torah only permitted making food. Mitoch shehutra letzorech ochil nefesh. The fact that the Torah permitted carrying to make food, hutra lechol davar, it's mutar as well, for all matters. Again, the way we go, la halakha is provided that it has a purpose for the day, even if it's not for eating. It means then, bet hilel have extended. And again, we, I think many of us are familiar with this. If you're in a place where there's no eruv, when it comes to Yom Tov, you could still carry. Why could you carry? The answer is, mitoch she hutra, nefesh. In fact, the Torah permitted doing melachot for food, 
food, it permitted them for other matters as well. That's only on Yom Tov. That's not on Shabbat. That's Beit Hillel's permissibility. Beit Shammai, draw the line entirely. They said, what are you talking about? Did you open the Pasuk in the Torah? The Pasuk in the Torah said, Anything, and specifically anything, that can be eaten, that and only that can be done for you on Yom Tov. I means that I don't extend this further. I turn back to our Mishnayot. The Mishnah which opens our Perek, which has the opinion which is permitting on Yom Tov. It says on Yom Tov you're allowed to lower it through that hole in your roof. Uh, that's permitted, even though it's not on Shabbat. Betilel. Betilel say, if it's for the enjoyment of the day, oh, we'll permit a lot. We'll permit even biblical violations, all the more so rabbinic restrictions. Bet Shammai are the second opinion. The next Mishnah, the Mishnah says, there's no difference between Shabbat and Yom Tov. If the rabbi said it's restricted on your Shabbat, they would say so as well on Yom Tov. That's the suggestion of the Gemara. Ultimately, that will stand, but the Gemara still will challenge that. So again, the Gemara then is suggesting now that the difference between these two Mishnayot is the difference between Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel. Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel, whether we are expansive in permissibility on Yom Tov, like Bet Hillel, or we are more narrow like Beit Shammai. Says the Gemara, Dilma Lohi. Maybe it's not so. What do you mean it's not so? Ad kan laka amre Beit Shammai hatam ela ahotza'a. Aval atiltul lo. Says the Gemara, well, let's think about this for a moment. The stringent opinion, the Beit Shammai opinion. What were they forbidding in the Mishnah and Dafyot Beit? Carrying. What sort of carrying? Carrying in a public domain. That's a biblical violation. That's an isur from the Torah. Bet Shammai say, listen, when it comes to an isur from the Torah, we're not expansive like you, Bet Hillel. We respect these words of the Torah in there with all their severity. That's where they stand strong. That's where they build this in and they say, Yom Tob is just as strict as Shabbat. When it comes to Yom Tob and a rabbinic restriction, that's what we're calling this word tiltul, something like mukseh, something like tirhashe lo In that circumstance, maybe Bet Shammai, maybe Bet Shammai would be permitting. Maybe Bet Shammai's extension, or, or rather narrow thought, is specifically and only, uh, we know it, in biblical, stronger violations. When it comes to an isumit rabbanan, maybe they would be permitting. That's the suggestion of the Gemara. It says the Gemara, Atu, tiltu, lav, sore, chotza'ahu. Ask the Gemara incredulously. That's a bad deflection because you should know that the laws of tiltu, the laws of mukseh, are all based and grounded in, there's a very important line in the Gemara, according to Rashi's reading of it, are all grounded in the isur of chotza'ah. What does that mean? It means that we've asked over the course of this Masechet for good reason several times, why did the rabbi say that all this Mukseh business is in place? According to this Gemara, it's all in place as a restriction from and so that I don't come to carrying on Shabbat and Yom Tov inappropriately. That's the purpose of Mukseh. As a result, says the Gemara, if that's the purpose, don't touch these things because you'll become too lax with handling things. You'll bring them out into public areas as well. If that's the vision, you can't distinguish in Beit Shammai. Oh, no, Beit Shammai said it by carrying on Shabbat, but not by rabbinic violations. The rabbinic violations are to prevent you from carrying, we wouldn't distinguish. That's the punchline of the Gemara. What's that? Starts in the home with the... Uh, I'll, I'll go better. It starts with the smaller things. That's the way you would probably say. What's that? Oh, we're not addressing the animals right now. Now we're just on those two Mishnayot. 
Animals would be a co- separate conversation. Now we're right, we're right now on the fruits. That's, well, that's really the case. Blame on the animals because I, it would bother me if there was animals in a pen and I was trying to enjoy Yom Tov. Right. We are, we are not posek like Rabbi Le'ezer. We are yes posek like Rabbi Yoshua. So you can pull the sketch and pull the meat out. Um, just just say. That is correct. Okay, a step further, and, and I was careful about expressing this, but Jeffrey said you should know as well, if the animals are out in the public, then we would have more permissibility as well. Then you're dealing with an imminent loss of property, um, as opposed to if it's on you, you know. That's that Mishnah, and Yod That's the Gemara is citing it explicitly right here. But if you remember, if you turn back to Daf Yod Bet, you'll find the exact words the Gemara just quoted. On Daf Yod Bet, at the top of the page, it says, Bet Shammai, two lines from the top, Omrim. En motzin lo entakatan velo etalula velo et sefer ha-Torah l'rshut ha-Rabim. Ubet ilel matirin. So the Gemara explained his reasoning is because of mitoch. Mitoch means the fact that ochil nefesh is permitted, so so two other things are permitted as well. That's the betilel opinion that we're addressing over here. Again, just to, the, the provided the sorech lefitos afot. Lefitos afot provided is a sorech. Hefsed mamon. That's what you're going to say. You're going to say hefsed mamon is enough sorech. Rashi doesn't have any such problem because Rashi told us you don't really need a sorech. The hachamim just restricted rocks and wood. But generally speaking, it doesn't need to be a sorech yom tov. But we go like tosafot on that shohan aruch das. Um, you see, but again, just to state it clearly, the punchline here in the Gemara then is defining for us the underlying, and this is rare, the underlying um, uh, purpose and objective of the hachamim in mukseh. The Gemara is saying it's to prevent carrying. The interesting thing is, Ra'avad, that's the uh, major commentary who, who disagrees with Harambam in his Mishneh Torah, in Perek Kafdalad of Hilchot Shabbat, he cites this Gemara. He says that's the reason for Mukseh. Harambam has three other reasons, some of which we've mentioned. It's just interesting, and there's a debate. Why didn't he just mention the one that's in our Gemara? It seems that there were, at least in the eyes of Harambam, several motives for the hachamim in bringing forth this mukseh. But again, our Gemara, at the very least, is providing one of them as the underlying logic. They made restrictions on usage or, or movement of items so that we wouldn't come to this biblical violation. Okay, that's what we have in this Gemara. The next Mishnah brings us into the laws of Eruvet uh, Now, we've talked about this pretty recently actually in one of the recent sugyot, Eruvet Tehumin, the Isur of Tehumin from the Torah or Midrabbanan is a debate in Masechet Sotan Daf Lamed between Hachamim and Rabbi Akiva. There's a debate whether the concept of not moving, nothing to do with carrying, 2,000 or more than 2,000 ama from my place of residing, uh, that's, a, that's a violation. That's a violation even from, either from the Torah or Midrabbanan, again as we mentioned, the debate. There is, however, as the Hachamim articulate a lot in Masechet Eruvin, there's a way of, not per se loopholing, but determining and defining my place of residing. In other words, I'd like to go more than 2,000 amat to the north, but I can only go 2,000 amat to the north. I can go 2,000 amat all, the, all around. If I, before Shabbat, before Yom Tov, place two meals worth uh, in 2,000 amah, 
a 3,000 feet place outside of the city, let's say to the north, I've now established, even though I'm not actually sleeping the night there, I've established that as my Ikar Yishuv, that's where I'm dwelling, and I get an extra 2,000 Amah to the north. So I got 4,000 Amah to the north now, I can walk around in the whole city, but now I can't go to the east, west, or south at all, because I've effectively said, I'm really living over there. I've recalibrated the grid with regards to where I am. That's the halakha of Eruve Tehumin. So again, Tehumin means I can't carry more than, I can't move, excuse me, more than 2,000 ama outside. Eruve Tehumin is a way of determining in what direction and where that line starts for me. Lastly, not only can I not move, my property as well can't go there. In other words, if I have an animal, if I have some other property, which will somehow, we'll address how in a moment, move, I need to make certain it cannot move further than the amount that I can move. So you have an interesting situation which we're about to address now in our Mishnah. What's that? You certainly can't be riding it anyway. Now we know from our last Mishnah. But, why not? There's a hut over there. There's a, under a tree. I put it in a basket. It's okay. Uh, you need to make certain you have it there. You, you, I mean, you, you want it to be there, but I'm saying if it happens, it happens. Do um, have like public uh, shared storage, uh, storage spots? Still do. You know, st- there still are public areas that are somewhat protected that you could leave food there. You, know, you could, uh, you know, get out there a little bit. You'll find. Uh, imagine this. This is a way in which you could pull that off. Um, just, here I am, the great outdoorsman. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, what what I'll tell you is, so you'll have the following theoretical type of case as a result: animal, which I can't ride on, as Eli said, but I can walk next to it. It can. I can, I can shepherd it. I can herd it. Um, what's the halacha? Morning. What's the halacha if I hand it off to? Uh, to Alan. I say, Alan, could you watch over my animal and take it to graze in the fields? Now, I put my Eruf Tehumin 2,000 Amma to the north, which means that I have 4,000 Amma out of the city on the north, but zero on the south. As I hand it off to Alan, what's that? Zero, because now that I did it 2,000 out there, that became my residing place. Yes, correct. So now in such a circumstance, it's my animal, but I handed it to him, what's the halakha? You kind of understand already, that one's gonna be somewhat simple. It's mine, he's only allowed to walk it, it is only allowed to walk in the places of myself. What if I gave it to him before Yom Tov? What if I loaned it to him? All right, so that's what we're gonna deal with those sorts of halachot over here in this Mishnah. It says the Mishnah, ha-behemah ve-hakelim, animal, animals or utensils, the halakha with regards to or the isur of tehumin, they are like the feet of the owners. In other words, they are only allowed to move as much as the owners are allowed. If a person hands off his animal to his son to shepherd, or to a, I guess, professional shepherd, to shepherd his animal, as I just mentioned, in such a circumstance, quite simply, the animal has the feet of myself, and in turn, well, the benoah and the ro'eh, they are allowed to move. When they're with the animal, they can only go as much as I can go. So the elu, indeed, as, as Mara said, is on them. But 
Correct. Since I handed him my item, he's in possession of my item and can only go as much as I can go. Correct. Uh, says the Mishnah onward, What about if there's uh, several brothers and they share possessions in a home? But it's One of the brothers, one of the inhabitants of the home, this is his stuff. This is the stuff that he uses. It's the utensils that are his. Everybody knows that's uh, Jacob's uh, stuff. That's uh, Joseph's stuff. And as a result, even though technically speaking we all share it, it's in our shared space, it's miuhad for me, the halakha in such a circumstances, they are like his feet. They can only be moved, even though one of the brothers wants to use them that day, they can only be moved, moved to the extent that that brother can go. If he set up his eruv in one direction as opposed to the other, well, we understand. What if we equally share this utensil? This animal, oh, we're partners in this home, in, this, uh, in, the, in these possessions. What's the halacha in such a circumstance? That's in plural. It's like the place where they go. Oh, what does that mean? Rashi explains this. It's a pretty, uh, pretty depressing situation. It means in such a circumstance where me and you, Eli, we share this uh, possession. You have set up your Eruv Tehumin 2000 Amma in that direction. I uh, maybe set it up 2,000 amma in the other direction. We can't move this animal at all, right? Uh, you've set it up, in, in other words, the halakha will be that we can only walk it to a place where both of us are permitted to be walking. And the stringencies of each of us will be placed upon the other, the leniency is placed upon neither. You'll be able to move it within your place of residing. You won't be able to move it all out because you have put yours to the north. So you could go to the north, but you can't bring my animal to the north because I set mine up to the south, etc. Okay, says the Mishnah, What if a person borrowed a utensil from his friend? So I borrowed it from you before Yom Tov. Technically speaking, it's yours. But you gave me a partial ownership by me borrowing it from you. The halakha is, it's like my feet. I took it from you before Yom Tov. As Yom Tov began, it was in my possession, at least partially. It moves with me as necessary for me. What about if it's Bi Yom Tov? I knock on your door on Yom Tov. I say, can I borrow the, whatever, the lock? And the halakha would be in such a circumstance. It's Mash'iv. Even though I'm taking a partial possession of it on Yom Tov, as Yom Tov entered in, that's when it locks in its ownership status, it's yours, and as a result, it goes based on where you set up and where you can move. And so to Imagine the situation. Your wife, a woman, says the Mishnah, asks her neighbor for tavlin, for spices, maim, some water, or melach, or, or salt, le'isata, for her dough, understand the situation. The dough, the flour, whatever ingredients she has, are hers. Anything she borrowed are her neighbors. They're now all in this loaf of bread. Both the spice that I borrowed and all the ingredients that I had. This loaf of bread now is dual ownership because I borrowed it on Yom Tov, the woman did. And as a result, this loaf of bread, I might not be going very far, but you can't take it very far because it now has the status of both of us, the stringencies of the woman who gave it to you, as well as the stringencies that you have, whatever the circumstances are. Again, you may have neither one of you set up in Eruv. In such case, there's no restrictions other than the 2,000 Amma. You might have both put it in the same direction. 
regardless of the specifics, the halacha stands that it's keragle shetehen. Rabbi Yehuda poter b'mayim mipeneshe en bahen mamash. Rabbi Yehuda says, listen, I agree with you when it comes to the spices or the salt. That's significant enough in the dough to say that there's a partial ownership to both parties. I borrowed it, it's in the dough. When it comes to water, water en bo mamash. There's no substance to the water and as a result, the water became subsumed and swallowed up by the dough, it doesn't have any of the stringencies of the person I got it from. Rashi already cites from the Gemara, which questions, is salt so different than water? Is spice so different than water? I mean, ultimately speaking, they both get swallowed up by the dough, and he cites from the Gemara, we're dealing specifically, Rabbi Hudayas, is in a dough which is thick to the extent that it's not watery, you don't really see that moistness any longer, and as a result, it's that type of water um, in, in, this, uh, in this dough, and we're dealing with a salt, alternatively, maybe even the spice, which is coarse and is strong enough that it didn't get fully swallowed in, it's still visible, it's still a present in that respect, that it's kirag leshete him. Make a difference if the spice is loaned or just given. If, if, if the friend gave it his, take the soul. Absolutely. Around, no. There are ways. We've discussed. We've discussed throughout the Masech. There are ways of matana on Yom Tov. So you know, those, especially with food, we talked about ways. But you're right. Generally speaking, you'd imagine there's not. But there are ways. If it's done in the right way of matana, it's fully mine at that point. It's not. It's not borrowed any longer. Um, what's that? No, you can establish it once for the entire year. It's an explicit Mishnah, Masechet Eruvin, right, Aki? Isn't it? So you can set it up one time for the entire year in such a fashion. You make such a condition on it. Yeah. All right.